0: This is Mike and this is Drew. Welcome
1: to the Mike and Drew at Mountain View Podcast. It is May third, twenty twenty three, and for episode sixteen, we want to answer the question: How do we know when it is time to make a tough, proactive decision in
0: ministry? That's a big question. Yeah, this this kind of came up. We were riding in the car, and you were saying, "Well, what what happens when a church starts to slow down? How do we approach that topic or that issue?" Um, you know, yep. How do we pump the brakes almost?
1: Having served in several ministries and growing up in several and being aware uh, of a lot of church stories at conferences and things like this, I've I've seen churches, uh, when momentum slows down, they keep investing and pressing forward in hopes that things will turn around and end up wasting resources and burning people out, or those that do persevere in faith, and They could read the room and see what was going on, and the Holy Spirit led them in the right direction, and wonderful things happened because they were faithful in a hard time. Other times, churches scaled back and simplified, and it was the best thing they could do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were blessed for it. And so where's that line, and when do you have to make those
0: proactive, tough decisions, not the ones you do in a crisis, where it's too late, too little, too late. But we see something coming out on the horizon, and we say, okay— what is the right move right now, even if it might upset people right now, so that we prepare for whatever that thing is out on the horizon?
1: Yeah, like Proverbs twenty-seven twelve: a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or I like how the message says it, a prudent person sees trouble coming and ducks. A simpleton walks in blindly and is clobbered. <laughs> and that's what we don't want because so you're going to have trouble even
0: making wise decisions. There's already enough trouble. Of course, like even uh, things as basic as okay like what's the next sermon series going to be? Like that yeah. that can be a really difficult question for people. Oh, it,
1: absolutely it is because if you choose something that is just straight out of a uh book of the Bible and you're just going to do a series on James or Matthew or Isaiah, you're going to have people who will email you and call you and say, hey, how come you're not talking about this thing I saw on the news, you know? Right. And this terrible, terrible thing, this the latest terrible thing that's coming on my latest fear-mongering news channel, and you're in <laughs> trouble for that. Or if you do pick a topic that is controversial, you have people say, why are you just picking at scabs and rubbing salt in the wound? Right. And so you do, even in sermon planning, there is proactive tough. there are proactive, tough decisions to make. And I don't think that will ever go away.
0: Yeah, so the question is, how do we approach making these decisions? But then, probably just as important, communicating that these decisions have been made in a tactful way that is not going to like really make everyone mad.
1: Well, sure, because you're always going to upset somebody, of course, right. It's the story of the grandfather and the grandson and the donkey in the village right they the the grand- the grandfather and grandson had the donkey walked through a village, and the villagers all mocked them, saying, "Why aren't you guys using the donkey so the next village, the grandfather put the grandson up on the donkey, and the villagers were all berating the grandson for forcing his elderly grandfather to walk. And the (laughs) third village, the grandfather was on the donkey, and the grandson was walking, and the villagers were all berating the grandfather for making his poor uh, young grandson walk. So the fourth village, they're both on the donkey, and the villagers are just yelling at them for crushing this poor donkey to death with two people on it. So by the time they got to the final village they were they both had slung the donkey over their shoulders, you know. I mean, yeah. you can't you can't please everybody and there's going to be that aspect, but like you say, you want to take everyone into consideration when making a tough decision. As
0: best as you can. I mean, sometimes like people are illogical and we just can't, you know. You know, what's the word? You can't, like, fit their every need. No, you can't. Right, right. And
1: Proverbs 11, 14 says, For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. And I believe that's going to be one of the keys in these proactive tough decisions, where you're going to say, hey, I know th- things seem okay now, but we see something coming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We see there's there's a trend, there's something that is logically coming. We're going to make some adjustments now so we can be wise. And some people are not going to like that, but you have to proceed with wisdom. And if the Lord has given you insight or logic gives you insight, then you get ready. And I think the first key, Drew, is always going to be prayer.
0: Yeah. Yeah, prayer, and then making sure you're approaching something as a team. You know, we have a great team of yes. elders. Yes. Um, I was trying to find this verse here. Um. You know, the idea of where two or three are gathered. Um, which is not necessarily about decision-making. It's more about um, church discipline. But I think the sentiment is still there, the idea that if we're working as a team and if we're all bathing this issue in prayer, then God will partner with us in moving forward. And I think what you're looking
1: for is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, either chapter 6 or 7, I believe. But you're right. It is the context of that whole... Uh, ethos that Jesus is giving in his Sermon on the Mount is the importance of working together as a community of believers, mm-hmm. and you can't go rogue and paul's going to use the language of us being a body of believers, and there's a reason and uh you know for me i've made many proactive, tough decisions. I still believe the Lord has blessed, and that goes that begins in two thousand nine with leaving my home in Wichita, Kansas. For a Bible camp in Watauga, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and the rest of that story just, uh, you know, goes for meeting Olivia. We get married, and we go into full time ministry, uh, starting with the Bible camp, then to the Bible college, and then a series of uh, churches, mm-hmm. and one church at a time. We've been one step of faith at a time up till the pandemic, when we interviewed at churches in Kansas, Oklahoma, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Mississippi, West Virginia, and Virginia, and we end up here at this church. And it was a proactive, tough decision. We did not need to leave where we were. Mm -hmm. That church gave us an option to stay on, full-time as staff for a season. The hospice place I worked for as a chaplain, we could have stayed, but we just knew we were called to this tough decision, and we sought godly counsel. We prayed quite often we a part of that godly counsel is reading scripture, of course, because it contains both direct counsel from God himself, and even though it's all inspired by the Spirit, there are still moments of godly counsel from the authors of scripture in mm-hmm. there as well. so it was a process, and even now, as we move on now from Mountain View, that was a tough, proactive decision. That didn't need to happen logically, but we believe that's what we were called to do. And so we had to, like you say, I approach the elders,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I say, here's what I'm thinking and praying about. We sit down one-on-one. I sit down with you, sit down with the elders, and some in our closer inner circle that we're asking questions, I try to let them in on a little bit, because I want all the godly counsel I can get without scaring the church unnecessarily, like, I'm going to go, and I don't. Right. And then out of that godly council, including those back in Kansas, uh, who might have been a little biased, maybe, I'm thinking.
0: Yeah. Uh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's okay, it's still godly council, and out of, of that, there is this decision that is proactive and tough, but I was able to make that with the church leaders here, so I didn't mm-hmm. surprise them and say, well, you know, I'm going to be gone by the end of the month because I got this thing. I tried to draw them in in that prayer. And insight. What do you guys, what do you two elders here at this church think about this? And of course, they want me to stay, but they were also trying to be objective and say, well, here's what could be best for you and your family. And it's tough. That's why we're using the word tough. It was not easy. But, Drew, like you're talking about, bigger than just a minister's decision or church leadership decision, it's ministry in general on this podcast. And, yeah you know, to make those proactive, tough decisions. When, when was a time you've experienced that around in your circles or personally?
0: You know, I was thinking about going through COVID, you know, everyone's trying to figure out, you know, summer of 2020, okay, do we go back to services in person? Yeah. Or do we, you know, stick, stick around and, and stick with online and kind of trying to figure out uh, the wisdom through that. And of course, I think everyone had their biases going in that. But as we prayed over that, and as we kind of figured it out, okay, this is what's best. I don't even remember what what you know, we ended up doing, but um, or being at Johnson during that time, yeah. um, how the the college leadership dealt with, okay, do we have students on campus? Do we not? Do we do masks? Do we do not? So, I was very grateful to not have had to make those decisions, but rather sure. just be a part of. Um, you know, the effects of them, which was also not fun, but it wasn't as not fun as probably making the decisions were. And, you know, the other thing I was thinking about in terms of, you know, me coming here to this church, um, I remember um, asking a lot of counsel from lots of people, and I probably did that a little too much because at some point you have to just (laughs) say, okay, let's do it. And oh, I right. I think I I took my time maybe a little too much in that and I I think that is a a uh, flaw of mine that i i like to procrastinate the decision making because oh maybe i'll i'll learn more if i you know talk to this one other person.
1: <laughs> well and like you say there is some truth to that where you do need a multitude of counselors but at some point you get echo chambers and at some right. point you get biases you yep. know biases and you're also you made i did as well you and i both made major life decisions with uh, uh, for for ourselves and then for our families. So our spouses were involved with this, yeah. and it's a major change for them. But more than that, it was during a historically turbulent time. Uh-huh. And I've got research published on January of uh, February 9th of this year that talks about the COVID-19 uptick in career changes, all right? 37% of the U.S. labor force changed or lost their jobs in the year 2020. The average American worker now has 12 jobs throughout their lifetime. The tenure of a U.S. worker is now 4.1 years, which is down considerably. That's crazy. 65% of American workers are actively searching for new full-time jobs right now. So and That's the average insane. the average Ameri- the average age Americans change their careers is 39. And then finally this this is what stood out to me. People under 24 years have approximately 3.8 more job changes than people over 45. So in other words, you and I are more li- and I know I'm over 24 but uh I'm in some of these statistics and that is we're likely to have more jobs, not just career but job changes than our grandparents or parents. And a lot of that is due to some other research that talks about how our generations, we've discussed this on other podcasts, uh, Gen Z and Millennial, we will take lower pay for a mission that's closer to our heart. Yeah, Any job, not just ministry, but something we believe in, we'll take less pay for something we we believe in than for stability.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I worked at Cracker Barrel, like... I don't care what Cracker Barrel does. The fact of the matter is I've showed up and I made hamburgers and pancakes and then I went home and that was not fulfilling to me at all and it was actually horrible (laughs) and I'm really glad I left.
1: Well, and the other factor in all of this, if it's church or the workforce, is that they're talking about the bottleneck we've got right now. Mm -hmm. And there's there's an article published by Christianity Today. I would encourage you, if you're listening, to check this one out. Uh, Christianity Today, just earlier this week on May 1st by Russell Moore, entitled, Our Aging Politicians Are a Warning to the Church. I was like, this is the dumbest article title I've ever seen.
0: I'm I'm intrigued, though. I'm
1: intrigued, though, because I know about Russell Moore. I have some respect for him and some of what he choices he's made here in the last couple of years, and one of the things that struck me after I read this article on this uh, this topic here of tough decisions is one of the toughest decisions I've seen uh, being made at every single church I've served at is, do we allow those in leadership who will not cycle out or take a break or take a year off to remain in leadership and bottleneck the young leadership coming up. Mm. Because with the young leadership, you may say, well, get them on in there and let them apprentice, but you also have to have a point where you let those who have been adequately trained and discipled, which doesn't take as long as we think, to step up and take responsibility without feeling like they've got to walk on eggshells around other leaders. And I've seen that kill more churches than gossip has killed. Yeah. And that's quite a few. And at this church we're at right now, I think they're trying to do it right. We've got, uh, you don't have somebody that is uh, just taking over for decades at a time. You right. You've got people trying to cycle in and out right now. And I think if that's done well, and those in leadership do take a break after six or seven years, take a year off, breathe, yeah, I think it could be good, and in this article, one of the things Russell Moore says. It's a one primary concern people whisper to me, but won't say out loud, is how badly generational transfer in the church is going. The congregations I'm most concerned about are not those who struggle to pay their bills. Rather, it's the congregations whose pews are still full and budgets are met, but whose attendee are mostly baby boomers. All right, now that's true of the church we serve right now. It is indeed. I mean, percentage-wise, we're mm-hmm. over 50 50- 56%. And so here's the concern. For those churches, the coming collapse will be sudden, based simply on human biology, if nothing else. Ironically, some of this is due to the way we've devalued the elderly. Right? You and I have talked about intergenerational ministry, the importance of plugging every age group in, mm-hmm. young and elderly alike. Ironically, though, here's the rest of the article, the final statements. Uh, how many times have we seen church leaders well beyond retirement age cling to their positions or be forced to stay in their positions, sometimes with life or death desperation? Hmm. And that's the tough decision there. So the yeah. proactive tough decision is to, uh, and we've I've seen it many times. Yeah, uh, people into their 80s and 90s being forced or holding on to positions that they're clearly struggling with, and it just bottlenecks things, and it's right. it's devastating and it's heartbreaking to watch both that church leader and their families and and the the young leaders uh, get get kind of stuck and the tough decision is to try and help church leaders step down and continue to serve Mm -hmm. as long as they can in different ways and not just say, give them the feeling that, well, when you step down from this full-time or committed position, we have no more use for you. Right,
0: right. But to
1: help them say, hey, we love you, so we're going to help you finish your race well right, and not just burn out.
0: Let's let's find a a place for you that maybe is not as much— Um, energy, you know, but still important and beneficial for the church and for you. And
1: still have a voice. Yeah. And, and still be able to influence and train. And even just down the road, uh, we have a church here in town. I know First Christian Church in Maryville, they had uh, a, a gentleman there who, if I remember correctly, had been a pastor, and I think even their pastor at some point, point. Uh, and he was still teaching an adult Sunday school class mm-hmm. up to within weeks that he passed away. So he still had a... And it was, it was well-received. It worked well for some of the health issues he had, and the people there loved it and were attending, and it, it was working. And I was like, that's how you want to finish, yeah teaching and preaching the Word of God, but in a way that doesn't burn you out, but still lets you give what all you have to give. And, and so tough, proactive decisions isn't just me as a minister being called to different churches. It's not just uh, churches having to decide um, whether to scale back on certain budget items if times right. get tough or or whatever. This also goes to how we develop church leaders and maybe there's some that are too young we want to push into position and we got to wait a little bit longer. Yeah. And some who are old enough, they're struggling enough, we need to help them rest a little bit while still giving them a voice. And yeah. those are tough decisions because you don't want to reinvent the wheel, but if I could just make an appeal through this podcast, you also don't want to allow the status quo to be the nail in the coffin for any of these small churches.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I was going to say something, but now I can't remember what it was. Well, I didn't mean to derail you. No, that's okay. Um, I went to a conference last week. I think it was a week ago. um, And one of the breakout sessions was about next-gen leadership and the idea that we can actually start to plug in some some Gen Zers, some high schoolers even, into church leadership because these kids are smart. And they they know what they're talking about and... You know, we see a lot of really young people becoming, you know, high level executives at at some bigger, you know, businesses. And so, why can't we, you know, plug that in here? Of course, with the proper training and mentorship that that comes with that. Um, but like, that is a possibility, and I think we need to be open to that idea. I mean, we've got some high schoolers that are in this church that are extremely smart, and I'd love to see them. Um, maybe not leading. Um, in in the sense of like becoming, you know, part of the board, but maybe advising the board and and, and, um being able to to share their voice.
1: Well sure. And you've got I think we got Brady Boone sharing a communion devotion this Sunday. On Sunday. And you know, uh, just a high school graduate and we've got people here in this church we try to plug in and I I think there's still a lot of room for improvement, but the steps that have been made have been a blessing to me and I know you know, those are some tough proactive decisions because sometimes you don't want to change things. And for me, the tough proactive decisions uh, come to a disrupting comfort that I have. That's usually why it's tough. Yeah. There's a familiarity and a comfort you don't want to disrupt. But I think biblically, what we see is it's worth it if it's going to bring glory to God and it's going to obey his plan of discipleship and training and mentorship. James chapter one, verse five. If you're listening to this podcast and, you clicked on it for tough questions, and you're hearing a lot about church stuff. Here's a general directive. If any of you needs wisdom, this is James 1, 5 through 6. If any of you needs wisdom, you should ask God for it. He will give it to you. God gives freely to everyone and doesn't find fault. So in other words, we don't. there's no stupid questions here. But when you ask, you must believe. You must not doubt. That's because a person who doubts is like a wave of the sea. The wind blows and tosses them around. So if you're listening to this and you're in the middle of making a tough decision, maybe it's proactive, maybe you're just responding to a crisis, I, I direct you to James 1, 5 through 6 and encourage you kindly. That applies here in churches, that applies in our ministries, in our family life, and it's going to boil down to prayer, but it uses that word, you must believe. So in that prayer, we're believing that God is going to uh give us the answer to these tough decisions.
0: Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> well, should we end it? We've gone a little over time.
1: We've gone over time? So so they probably already cut us off by now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you're still listening, thanks. And we've still got a few more podcasts coming up, right, Drew? That's right. I'd love to get to episode 20 if we can, but we'll see. You said that out loud on the podcast?
1: Now we've got to do it. Let's do it. Four more podcasts by the end of the month of May before we move.
0: All right. Well, this has been Mike. And this has been Drew. Thanks for listening to the Mike and Drew at Mountain View podcast. Um, You can email us at podcast at mvcc. The number sixmile 6mile.org. And uh, you can share this with your friends and family. And we we love to uh, hear feedback and uh, see what you guys are thinking about all this stuff. So,
1: yeah. Eat your quesadillas.